Well, good morning. Welcome to Redeemer Church. We're so glad that you can join with us. If you're here regularly, uh, you probably have an idea what's going on. But if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, we're so glad that you're here. And we'd ask you to please excuse our mess as we are in the midst of uh, a refreshing of the front of the, our sanctuary area. Uh, we're starting week two this week of a four-week project. And as you can see, things are moving along. They're not quite done yet, um, but uh, they are making good progress. And so I've been really encouraged to see that happening this week. Uh, A few announcements as we get started. First, uh, if you, uh, the women's prayer team is looking to connect women in the church to pray for one another. And if you would like to be a prayer partner, I would encourage you to uh, meet up with uh, Janet Shamp at the uh, Welcome Center that's just right out here uh, uh, outside the front doors and, uh, and meet with her and sign up for this, this wonderful opportunity to connect with other women uh, in prayer uh, and partner up together. Uh, so that's following the morning service. Uh, you should be able to connect with Janet there. The girls group is having their fall party this coming Saturday. Uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. So if you're a part of that girls group, be sure uh, to plan on being there and having uh, lots of fun and games and, and uh, just getting to enjoy uh, other girls in the group. And then next Sunday uh, is our third Sunday, and we're, we're having our, our typical uh, evening service of praise, but it, it should be a wonderful time uh, of, of worshiping our God, and then there's a time of fellowship after We'd encourage you to, to bring your friends and your neighbors uh, so that they uh, would be able to uh, hear the gospel, uh, but also enjoy in a fellowship meal afterwards. Uh, if you're, you're planning on being there, uh, be sure to check out what uh, would be useful to bring to that, uh, that we would be able to share in that together. Uh, also next Sunday, uh, the adult Sunday school is, uh, we're going to have a special speaker uh, Jim Sprague, uh, the CEO of uh, Pregnancy Resource Center, the PRC, uh, will be coming and speaking about the implications of, of the proposed uh, of Proposal 3 uh, to the Michigan Constitution. We encourage you to be there, uh, hear his reflections. He spent a lot of time uh, reflecting on what this, this proposal would be and do, uh, and we think that it would be a valuable thing for... Um, For anybody who can vote uh, to be there and to hear what he has to say. Uh, Fall Fest, if you enjoyed that last year, we're doing it again this year on October 22nd from 5 uh, to 8 p.m. You can see more information here on this uh, Redeemer News and Events page. Uh, Find out a little bit more about what we're doing and we'll be sure to mention that in announcements uh, going forward. And then finally, you may have noticed... Those of you who've been sitting here for a little while, the furnace, something's going on with it. We're aware of that. Uh, We would, uh, we're working on it. So uh, thank you for your patience as well for that. Those are all my announcements. Let's prepare to worship our God.
our God invites us into his presence that we might come and, and offer worship to him. But he also calls us to find strength, to find refreshment uh, in his presence as we delight in him. And that's wonder, one of the wonderful things about our God is he has made us to worship him, but he has made us that we would fellowship with him and be refreshed and commune with him. We're reminded of that of our, from our call to worship this morning from Psalm 52. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Let's stand and sing to our good God with praise the Lord the Almighty.
Let's go to our God in prayer now. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that we can come this morning as Your people to offer You worship and praise. Lord, You have made us for this. And so we delight in knowing You and praising You for who You are and for Your many wonderful deeds. Lord, were we to count them all, we would, we would spend all eternity speaking of the wonderful things that You have done. Lord, we thank You as well that You... You and your love have befriended us. You have adopted us as your own. You have drawn us near. Not that we would merely be your servants, Lord, but that you would call us, call us sons and daughters, that you would call us friend, Lord, and that you provide for us our every need. And we know in this service, Lord, that you will strengthen us, heal us, restore us, revive us, Lord, that we that we might walk in joy and celebrate Your great name, Lord, in all that we do. We, we pray these things in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue to praise with not in me.
You may be seated. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Amos chapter 9. If you want to turn there in your copies of scripture, or, or I believe we'll read along, uh, you can read along in, uh, off the screen. Amos chapter 9. This portion of Amos is actually the very end of the book, and Amos is focused a great deal on the judgment of God's people because of their sin. Uh, They uh, will be led out into exile, Uh, the land will lay bare, uh, destroyed, and it's after all of this this prediction of judgment comes uh, a message of hope and peace and restoration. Uh, And we'll see where this comes to fulfillment in our passage uh, that Pastor Jonathan is preaching on this morning. Hear now the word of our God. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. They will may possess the remnant of Edom And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So far, God's word. As we come to a time of of confessing our sins and, and repenting and hearing the assurance of pardon, I hope that that this message of, of peace, it's, it's a message that leads us into repentance. It reminds us that God is gracious to His people and kind. That He is never done with us. Even though we might experience His discipline for a season, He will not forsake us, but He will restore us and renew us. And so as we come to our God to confess our sins to Him, Be reminded of that. Come not cringing, wondering if He loves you, but come knowing that He has made provision in His Son, Jesus Christ. That it's in Jesus He has fulfilled this for His people, that we would have our fortunes restored. So let's go to Christ and confess our sins to Him. Great are you, O Lord, 
Great is your steadfast love. Great is your kindness and mercy to us, Lord. Great is your grace that you have shown to your people. Lord, we thank you for the love and kindness that you have shown to us in your son, Jesus. We thank you that he offered himself freely and fully to pay the penalty of our sin. Lord, that we would not be clothed in unrighteousness, but that we would bear Christ's righteousness, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the gift of love that is the spirit that you have poured into our hearts, who is renewing us and reshaping us after the image of your son. And so, Lord, it's in light of your grace and your kindness, Lord, that we come and approach. We approach to you and confess the ways that that we have fallen short, the ways that we have sinned against your holy law, Lord. Though our lives are meant to be marked with gratitude, Lord, we have been marked by bitterness, frustration, and anger because life has maybe not worked out the way that we had hoped. Because we think that, that we are owed something that we are not, Lord. We expect our will to be done and not your will, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us of the ways that we have not centered our lives on you as our source of hope and joy, but rather we have raised up idols in our hearts. We have, we have crafted for ourselves our own little gods that do not hear and do not see. You cannot answer. And they let us down. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of our sin. Lord, and lead us. Lead us to the only fountain where true life is found. Lord Jesus Christ. Revive us. Refresh us. Lord, help us to see. Help us to see our sin. And what our sin leads to. And help us to see the the great joys of following Christ. Help us not to believe the lies of the tempter or our flesh or the world, but let us see the one who is filled with truth. Lord, we thank you that you are living and true God, have redeemed your people, and we ask that you would lead us into the paths of lives. And we trust that life, and we trust that you will because of your son. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Hear now this promise of pardon. And as you have confessed your sins, trust that this is true of you because these are the words of your God. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. If you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He has covered them all. There is not one left to condemn you. Let's stand and sing in thankfulness for this redemption that we have. Oh, the deep, deep love.
Please join me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, what a blessing it is to gather this morning in your house. Lord, as we are able to sing of your deep, deep love with our brothers and our sisters. Lord, you have seen fit to call a day a week for us to come to your house, to hear your word, and to proclaim praises to your name. Lord, we are truly blessed that we are able to do this, free from persecution here. Lord, as we hear in many of the countries around the world that they do not have this freedom, and yet we take it for granted. Lord, we just are truly blessed people, and we do not understand the blessings that you have given us. Lord, this morning we lift up our pastors. Pastor Jonathan, as he prepares to bring us your word this morning, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Dan, Lord, we are truly thankful for their dedication and their study and their shepherding of your people. Lord, we are a truly blessed church to have three men who truly care about you and care about your people. Lord, we ask that now as we are about to partake of the offering, Lord, as we remember that what we are about to put in the plate is not ours but yours alone, and we are returning to you what you have given us. Lord, we ask that uh, as we continue worshiping you, that we bring praise and glory to your name. In your name alone, amen.
We come now to the time in our service when we uh, pray for those on our prayer list. You notice on the back of your bulletin uh, that list, and uh, we are just grateful that we have an opportunity to intercede for one another and to know uh, that God is at work, uh, not only in the uh, you know, peaks and the joys of our lives, but also in the valleys, and particularly in the valleys. So let's go to him in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we have been brought here this morning, desirous to meet with you, desiring to get a glimpse of your glory and of your majesty, and to recognize that we can love one another by interceding for each other in prayer. And as those on our prayer list have made such a request, Lord, we want to intercede for Caleb Nelson as he is uh, coming up on a strenuous two-week exam uh, with JARS, the uh, Wycliffe Bible Translator uh, Organization, Aviation Branch. And uh, we ask, Lord, that as he is uh, going through this whole process of preparation, if it be your will for this to go very well for him, that you would just give him that great recall, uh, the great clarity, and all the help that he needs to uh, take the next step in your call in his life uh, to serve you in Papua New Guinea. We just trust that you will um, give him all the help that he needs. Lord, we also pray for uh, the Baker family. We pray for uh, Cassie and Everly in particular. Lord, thank you that uh, Cassie is, is doing well after the car accident and that she is uh, making a recovery. And just pray for Everly, Lord, as she gains strength and, and, and pounds and is able to uh, get to full strength, uh, Lord, in your timing. We're grateful for the medical staff and all those that are a part of helping all of the babies in uh, NICU and, and in other uh, times of uh, 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 premature birth. And we just trust, Lord, that you will give the help to each one of them uh, that are there and uh, that they would just know your healing and your help. Father, be with Tom as well in this whole process. Father, we pray for uh, Bob Davison as he uh, is recovering from knee surgery or knee replacement. We just pray that you would uh, help him as he's going through his therapy and doing all that is needed to uh, bring about a, a complete recovery. And we know that you're at work in him and through him, and that you would uh, just give all the grace that is needed uh, during this time. We pray for our dear brother uh, Zach as he is just dealing with such chaos in, in his home country of Haiti and the desire he has to be courageous and strong and wise in uh, the uh, trusting of your spirit to work in the midst of chaos and that uh, your people would just represent you well uh, in the midst of that time, that they would be able to point others to you for your glory. Lord, we pray continually for uh, Mickey Kite and for her family and the, the loss of her husband, Ron. We are so grateful for uh, being able to know Ron and the, the blessing that he was for so many here. Uh, for a number of years, and uh, we just pray as uh, we have time of remembering him on Tuesday, Lord, that your spirit would uh, bless that family, and for any that do not know you in a saving way, that you would draw them to yourself. Father, we also pray for uh, my mom as she is uh, having more consulting with the doctors about uh, possible surgery on her spine for uh, the tumor, and we ask that uh, you would let all these pieces come together just right, uh, that it would be the tool that you would use uh, to alleviate her from this threat and uh, be able to uh, trust that you will bring about the healing uh, that is needed and that you would help her in the, the whole uh, aspect of her health. Lord, be with Gail Stahl as she uh, is just rejoicing in the, the news of uh, being able to uh, have the cancer dealt with well, and as she does uh, have surgery coming up, that that would also go very well, that there would be 
uh, just a true uh, freedom uh, from that threat of cancer, and we just ask for your mercy and help in that way. And we also want to pray for the Thompsons, the Gablers, the Meyer Dirks, and the Oars, and uh, the expecting of their next child or first child, and just ask that you would uh, help them in this whole process as they uh, prepare and, and are just asking you to give protection to these little ones, uh, that they would just be able to be brought uh, very healthy into this world, and uh, we trust your timing in the whole process. Lord, we also pray for our uh, sister church, Emmanuel, in Marksdale, Ontario. Lord, help uh, them that they are uh, hoping to serve you faithfully in uh, bringing the word to that community. We know that you're the only one that can make it effective in uh, drawing sinners to yourself and just ask that you would accomplish your great purposes there. We also pray for our president, Joe Biden, and for uh, the work that he does in our government. Uh, we recognize, Lord, that uh, of his need to depend upon you, <clears throat> that he would recognize that, that he would recognize that he not only needs you, but is also accountable to you for the work that he does, and that uh, you would just turn his heart to you uh, to know you in a saving way and to uh, do things that would be what's best for our country as only you can enable. We also pray for your uh, growth and awareness for the citizens of Michigan and the understanding of the threat of uh, Proposition 3 toward the lives of the unborn, toward the lives of so many, and just how harmful uh, something like this is uh, to our state and to so many women and so many babies. We ask for your mercy in that. We pray for uh, Derek and Eric, for Ken and Chris, for Zach and Robert and David as they uh, serve in our military. Thank you for all the ways that you are at work uh, in them and through them. Keep them safe and uh, ask for your, your help and protection. Lord, be with our, our Kenya congregation uh, who is just facing uh, great threats uh, from those uh, that do not want to see a Christian church uh, thrive and uh, as they endure persecution of various kinds, Lord, that they would just know uh, the, the guidance and protection. We thank you, Lord, for the mercy that have been shown to them by the police, even housing them in the police station. Lord, what an amazing gift from you. And we just acknowledge your sovereign hand uh, at work in that and just trust that, Lord, in your timing and in your way uh, that you will bring them to bear a ministry that is so evident of Christ in their lives, Lord, that even those that oppose them would see the nature of your grace and of your love and of your patience in the lives of your people, and that they would just point well to you. And we pray, Lord, as you point us to yourself in your text this morning, uh, Lord, that you would guide us into all truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please open God's Word with me to the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 2. Uh, this is now our fourth message in our new series in the Gospel of John. And uh, he has been telling us a lot about who Jesus is. But today... He shows us who Jesus is because we get to see his first miracle. Now, lots of ink has been spilled speculating about what these uh, verses could possibly mean, but rather than entertaining all of the what-ifs, uh, we are going to focus on the main purpose of this particular text, and that is that Jesus is our bridegroom God. The main application is that we need to trust him to lead us that Jesus is our bridegroom God, and so we need to trust him to lead us. Now, I have three points. If you're taking notes, that we're going to learn, first of all, about the bridegroom's uh, mercy, 
Uh, second, about the bridegroom's miracle. And lastly, about his magnificence. So mer- mercy, miracle, and magnificence. Please follow with me. Uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. This is the word of our God. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Weddings are amazing. In every culture of the world, they are one of the most exciting events that can happen in people's lives. Now, it's a great time of celebration when two families and their friends come together to witness the creation of a new family. We recognize that God created the institution of marriage as a covenant between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Now, the Bible actually begins with a wedding, Adam and Eve. The Bible also ends with a wedding, Jesus and his church, right? And now we see here, Jesus' ministry began with a wedding. Now, the marriage metaphor in the Bible is one of the richest metaphors that we have for us to understand our relationship with God. Now, when ministers officiate weddings, they often refer to this particular text regarding Jesus' presence and his blessing upon the wedding in Cana. But there is so much more going on in this text than just the fact that we can affirm the institution of marriage as being from the Lord. John wants us to understand who Jesus is. And it's very clear from this text that Jesus is indeed our bridegroom, God. But what exactly does that mean? We're going to learn, first of all, that our bridegroom God is merciful. We're going to learn about his mercy. Verse 1 again says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, many people wonder why does he reference the third day in that particular place? And it's probably something as simple as the fact that, as Pastor Jeff talked about last week, that It took about two days for Jesus to call uh, Philip and Nathanael. And so on the third day, Jesus was in Cana. 
Now Mary, the mother of Jesus, was invited and as along with her son and the disciples, and this was most likely someone that Mary was related to. But then the unthinkable happened. If you've ever planned a wedding, you know there are quite a few details involved, and you have to plan for a lot of things. Many of them you're not totally sure about. How many people are coming, you hope you know. But in this particular case, uh, we don't know why. It's pointless to speculate, but the fact is the wine ran out. And when the wine ran out, it says in verse 3, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, you have to recognize that Mary is feeling the intense embarrassment and not wanting this young couple to start life with this public embarrassment. And so she knows that Jesus has the power to help. But notice also that she does not instruct Jesus. She merely points out a fact. They have no wine. Now, Catholic theologians construct a very blasphemous doctrine regarding Mary having the power to change Jesus' mind. You know, if he doesn't intend to do something, you know, if you pray to Mary, then, then she can guide him to do what you need him to do. And that is certainly not what this text is teaching. But we can't err on the other side of that spectrum either and recognize that because uh, Jesus said woman, right? Some people take that as a strong rebuke uh, to Mary manipulating Jesus, and that's not the case at all. Woman was just a simple uh, reference to an older woman. And he says the very same thing, uh, for example, uh, from the cross itself when he was trying to show his mother mercy uh, on the cross. It says in John 19, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple John took her to his home. Now, though Jesus was on the cross facing the worst pain any human being could ever experience in the history of the world, he was still focused on giving mercy to his mother and making sure she had someone to care for her after his death. Calling her woman was not rude, as it might be uh, sounding today if we said it like that, but it's just a way, as I said, of addressing an older woman. But the most interesting thing that Jesus says to Mary at this point is, my hour has not yet come. As we, dis- we will discover as we go through this uh, gospel of John, this theme of Jesus' hour, he says all different things about it, but he says an hour is coming, or he says my hour has not yet come. He says it multiple times, but then in John chapter 12, we get to hear these wonderful words, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He told Mary that his hour of glory had not yet come. The hour would come when Jesus would be the bridegroom at the marriage feast of the Lamb in glory, but that hour is not Yet. And so rather than us seeing the fullness of his glory as we do in the book of Revelation, we just get a glimpse of that glory as Jesus unfolds for us progressively through his miracles that glory. And so as we uh, think about the bridegroom being full of mercy, we see in verse 5 his mother said to the servants, Do whatever. 
he tells you. Now, she knew that her son is Messiah, right? And she knew it's not about her will. It's about his will. The servants may not know Jesus at all, and so with the encouragement of an older woman, they may be more likely to receive Jesus' instruction as a mere guest. But before we get to the actual miracle, we need to understand our own need for mercy. And so considering this first point about the bridegroom's mercy, I want to illustrate and then apply that point to our lives before we move on to the miracle. We may sympathize with this young couple and recognize the embarrassment that they face and their need for help. But do we really grasp our own intense need for mercy for the bridegroom giving it to us? Well, in Ezekiel 16, our bridegroom gives to his people Israel an amazing amount of mercy. Now, we think about uh, the way that God is revealing himself in that text, and it is so graphic. I don't even want to read the first few verses of that chapter because of our mixed company. I mean, today, we face the horror of abortion. In ancient times, it was called exposure, where they would just leave a child in an open field. And so that is where God found us. We, as the people of God, were left in an open field for the elements and for the beasts, but God found us. He rescued us. He gave us life. He even gave us abundant life. And then Ezekiel says in verse 8, when I pa- or God says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Right? There is this marriage theme of God wedding his people right? Having a covenant of marriage. And the verses that follow show the magnificence and the amazing uh, grace and mercy that God showered upon his bride. And yet, unfortunately, we kept looking for love in all the wrong places. Our idolatry, trying to find satisfaction in something other than God, is called adultery in the scriptures, because of this covenant of marriage that we have with our God. And so when we see the fact that in the book of Hosea, he also demonstrates that we as sinners have a very difficult time with trust and commitment. Now, though the Lord redeemed us from death, we question his goodness. Now, though the Lord provided all that we have, we doubt his love. Trust is the main application of this particular text. Our bridegroom demonstrates that he is indeed trustworthy. And so we must trust his mercy to lead us. Now, Jesus demonstrated godly wisdom in what he did at the wedding in Cana by showing them this type of mercy. We have received that mercy ourselves, and so we will wisely respond to that mercy by then sharing it with others. And we have three different ways that we can show that mercy to other people. First of all, we read about mercy covering over shame in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. 
Parents, we need to recognize that we should not be nitpicking every single thing that our children do wrong, right? That none of us appreciate having all of our faults highlighted. Now, there are times when love just needs to cover over our multitude of sins. Jesus covered the shame of that poor couple. Nobody knew what happened, right? It was even better than they anticipated it to be with the wine. And so Jesus covering that shame demonstrates that great love, right? Well, verse, uh, Proverbs 17, 9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And so there's the other side, right? First, I talked about parents. Now, children, it's, it's your turn, right? When we think about the fact that there are times that mom and dad have given you mercy. And unfortunately, you took that as, ooh, I got away with it. I'm going to try that again. And that's what he's talking about here is repeating a matter, right? You got mercy the first time, but instead of receiving that and responding in repentance, you say, ooh, I got away with it. I'm going to do that Again, and so we see that there's a time that parents will then have to restrict your freedom because you're not showing yourself trustworthy. And so we see here that uh, we have not demonstrated ourselves as trustworthy, and so the Lord has to keep a closer eye on us as well. And then the third part, then in First Peter 4, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So you see this theme in the application of mercy about covering of shame. Every single sinner experiences different aspects of shame. And so how can we, uh, as the people of God, be a part of covering shame? Let you be the one where gossip ends. When it comes to your ears, be the one to stop it and ask the person if they've addressed this with this other person. Be the one to correct the person who is spreading gossip. Be the one that it stops with as opposed to multiplying the shame of a brother or sister made in the image of God. God's mercy is so powerful and so trustworthy. But there's many times we can't just hear it. We actually need to see it. And so that's what we have next in the bridegroom's miracle. First, we saw his mercy illustrated and applied it three ways, and now we see his miracle. Look at verse 6. Now, there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now, many, many wonder why John references the original purpose of these sown jars, that they were for the rites of purification. I thought it was interesting that John Calvin points out that the Jews commonly went overboard in their rites of purification because it was an outward display of their personal holiness. And so the irony is that Jesus used these very large stone jars to demonstrate mercy to the humble instead of bringing glory to those who are proud of their own obedience. Now, the most likely reason Jesus used these large jars uh, to make into wine was, first of all, there was a need for it, right? We don't know how many guests, maybe it ran out of, of, of uh, wine because there was more people than they anticipated. We don't have the actual reason, but Jesus did not just transform one cup of wine or of water into wine, 
right? That, that could be guilty of it looking like just sleight of hand, right? Oh, yeah, he just kind of switched one cup. When you have 150 gallons, right, multiple large uh, uh, jars, uh, uh, or, uh, you know, it's, it's just overwhelming uh, for that miracle to occur. And so you can't overlook that. Jesus made 750 modern-day bottles of wine, right? That's a lot of wine. Now, the abundant power of Jesus' miracle is what grabs our attention. And the, that's the very purpose of miracles in the Scriptures, right? That God demonstrates His glory by showing His power, by altering and, and working against the laws of nature, right? To show something that was not natural. It was supernatural. And so, in His showing of supernatural love... All of the miracles also are miracles of mercy. They are showing mercy to sinners. And so if we understand miracle in its right uh, biblical context, then we would all also say that childbirth is not a miracle. And you're like, what? Right? It's, it, technically, it's not. It's amazing. It's, it's a wonder the way that God has designed childbirth, but it's not technically a miracle because it's the most natural thing that happens. A virgin birth, however, right, in Jesus' case, right, that's a miracle because you're suspending the laws of nature to bring about uh, God's purposes. And so when, we, when God uses miracles, he's getting our attention, changing the laws of nature to point us to his power. And then Jesus said in verse 8, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Now, this, this was likely a wedding of the poor, and yet there were still patterns that existed just like the weddings of the rich. There would still be a master of the feast. And so he was given the honor to try the wine before it was distributed. The master did not have, though, a key point of information that the servants did have. Jesus had turned water into wine. But the servants didn't taste it themselves, right? That would be quite bold if they tried, but they didn't. And so you got to imagine, they're taking this wine to the master, and they're super curious. They can't wait to see the master's reaction. Well, Jesus always demonstrates his miracles in unexpected places. For example, he was born in a stable, not in a palace as the king. He began his ministry in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. I mean, if we were the ones claiming to be Messiah, right, we would start right at the top. Hey, the king is here, right? And that's how we would probably go about it, but not Jesus. He revealed himself to the poor and to the common. He revealed his miracles to the servants before the master. He explained his parables to the disciples and the Jewish leaders had to figure them out for themselves. This demonstrates that the power belongs to God and not to man. I mean, if, if he started with the rich and the powerful, they would probably shift credit to their own power, to their own wealth, to their own prestige. No, God starts with the weak so that he can demonstrate his 
power. That is an amazing theme that we find all throughout the scriptures, that of God's power working through miracles, it is to be demonstrated in times of our weakness. And so whether a person is crippled or whether a person is blind, whatever the weakness is, God demonstrates his power through weakness. And he said exactly that to the apostle Paul, as Paul is just wrestling with the Lord about why God has given him this thorn in his flesh. And yet God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul responds saying, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. God had Paul's attention. Does he have your attention? How much do you trust God's power to overcome your weaknesses? How much would you trust God to display his power in your weaknesses? Well, we've already learned that his mercy was shown to an outcast child. But what about his miraculous power demonstrated in our personal weakness? We hate seeing our own weaknesses. We hate the idea of them being exposed to multiple people. And yet as those who have been changed by Jesus Christ, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, those who have been loved by a heavenly Father, as those given immeasurable mercy, you don't need to fear the shame of your weaknesses being exposed. Christian, you don't need to fear the shame of your weaknesses being exposed. Now, we should be the ones to cover other people's weaknesses. That's loving one another. But we have to be willing to let our own be on display. But no, no, not even on display. Paul says we need to boast in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. That reaction is supernatural. That's not natural. Right? The natural thing to do is to just right, pull, pull ourselves away and to, to hide and to cover. That's the natural response to our shame. And yet, Paul is saying that in my weakness, I will see the glory of God displayed in this sinner's life. Brother and sister, what shame do you carry in your life. Our Redeemer God has designed every aspect of your life, and you can trust that He is your sovereign. Now, I'm very aware that in your moment of hurt, you certainly didn't feel His delight. But this broken world and our broken hearts can be redeemed by a good God so that there's a purpose to it that Paul says that our that his comfort so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God that's the purpose of us going through some horrible experience that God would redeem it so that then we can meet other people who have who are in the early stages of that horrible experience and with the comfort that we have been given we can then share it 
with them. And so the abundance of God's power is displayed in our lives by the quantity of his power being poured out. But it's also displayed in the quantity of the miracle of the amount of wine Jesus made. But it's also not just the quantity, but it's demonstrated the glory of the bridegroom God is also demonstrated in the quality of the wine, as we will see lastly, the bridegroom's magnificence. First, we saw his mercy, second, his miracle, and lastly, his magnificence. Look at the end of verse 9. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. And I can just see the faces of those servants waiting to see that master's reaction. And I bet the doubting servant was like, you know, what? It's just water. How can he say it's the best wine he's ever tasted, right? The other servant's like, who is this guy, right? Who can do that, right? The master of the feast helps us to see that the quality of the wine that Jesus made, okay, it's not ripple, Okay, it is Chateau de Kim. It is the best of the best. Now, I must point out that the master's reaction does prove that Jesus did not turn water into grape juice. Because no one's ever heard of serving the good grape juice before serving the bad grape juice. No, that's not what it says. We know that you will serve the good wine before the mediocre wine. Now, notice that the master of the feast called over who? the bridegroom. Why? Because it's the bridegroom who is responsible. And yet, in this text, he is not the one who did it. It's the true bridegroom. Our bridegroom God was responsible for bringing what was needed. He took the place of the weak and the poor bridegroom because he didn't have enough. None of us have enough. We need Jesus to take our place. And so our bridegroom God shows his abundant grace. But the Lord's generous grace does not come only in large quantity, but also in top quality. This is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Right? The Bible regularly illustrates using metaphor. And so in Isaiah chapter 5, the Lord uses the metaphor of his people as a vineyard. The Lord labored well to create a perfect vineyard, and yet this perfect vineyard yields only wild grapes and sour wine. What is it about our rebellion that is demonstrated in that wild grape and that soured Wine. Well, as Pastor Dan read from Amos chapter 9, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. The bridegroom is also the vine dresser. 
He cares for his people with great tenderness. And even out of wild grapes, because of his, he mercifully and miraculously and magnificently makes sweet wine. This is the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. That's the application, right? That we would trust in this Jesus. Now, God dis- displays his glory in this first miracle, right? People can try to explain away the miraculous, but we see it for what it is. Jesus fulfilled prophecy as our bridegroom God, and therefore we must seek his glory by trusting him. The disciples saw what happened. They already trusted Jesus, but now their trust was even deeper. And they understood this is the Messiah. We knew it. We weren't sure, but we can see he is the Messiah. He is the one to restore the fortunes of Jacob. All of these prophecies are coming true, but they only have the Old Testament. We also have the New Testament where we know that Jesus is the bridegroom God of the church. And heaven itself is described as the marriage feast. Will you be there? Are you captivated by the mercy, the miracle, and the marvelous, magnificent nature of Jesus revealed in the Scriptures? Have you trusted in Him? Well, it says in Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to them, or he said to me, these are the true words of God. Brothers and sisters, trust your true bridegroom God because he delights in you. Amen. Father, as we are so thankful for the beautiful marriage theme that we have all throughout the scriptures and how this even comes into fruition as you, Lord Jesus, begin to demonstrate the power and the love and the care that you have for your bride. Lord, thank you for your mercy that covers over all of our sin. Thank you for your grace that is paid for our sin by your perfect life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection that we can have eternal hope that as we trust in you alone, we are set free from whatever sins have happened to us and whatever sins we have committed, that we are not defined by our guilt or by our shame, but we are yours as those that you have purchased and are one who delights in. And we thank you for these things and that we can rejoice in your goodness. We pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Well, we can rejoice that Jesus is our Savior, but he is also our Lord. Let us stand as we sing.
that day when he will bring his children home. And until then, hear the blessing of your wonderful heavenly father. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.